Good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor and it's so good to see you guys today. Um, and thank you, Robbie, for bringing up my mustache. It, it, um, every time I, I see pictures of it, it's like a dear friend that I've, that I've lost being reminded of it. You know, I grew that mustache. I was 23 years old when I first started wearing that mustache. And it looked every bit as awesome at 23 as it did in that picture. And when I was 23, I wanted to look older, so I grew a mustache. And when I turned 30, I wanted to look younger, so I shaved it off. And that's the story of the mustache. So thank you for coming today. And if it's your first time, now you know all about my mustache. And uh, we're so glad to have you. You picked a great time to join us. Welcome to Summer at the Gathering. Um, this has been a really great season for us. I feel like it's been a good season of growth for us personally and as a church. I think uh, God is doing some exciting things culturally here at the Gathering Church in this season. And so uh, I've really been enjoying it. If, if this is your first time here and you're just kind of checking this whole thing out, checking church out, uh, this is a place where you can belong before you believe. Uh, you're in the right place this morning. You know, we, we believe that every person is on a spiritual journey because we're spiritual people. And so whether or not you acknowledge it or you want to believe it, I think all of us are searching for something spiritually. And so our goal at the gathering is to create a clear path for us to take that spiritual journey on. We want to make it easy for you to know God, to find freedom, to discover your purpose, and to make a difference. And that's what we're fixated on here at the Gathering Church. And so I'm so glad that you're here. Today is a great day because we are beginning 21 days of prayer. Today is the beginning of 21 days of prayer. Now, we've been talking about this for a few weeks here, but I want to introduce it this morning. I thought a bug was attacking me. It was a piece of spit, I think, flying out of my mouth. So I'm not freaking out. I'm fine. Um, <laughs> we believe at the gathering that prayer is powerful and effective. In fact, we think if we're going to do anything in life, that we should pray first. That as leaders in the church, if we want the church to, to go in any sort of specific direction, that we need to pray first. If we're expecting a season where we expect God to show up and for him to uh, bless the season that we're in, that we've got to pray first. And so uh, in our personal lives, in ministry, in every aspect, we believe that it's important to pray first. And so this season of prayer, 21 days of prayer in August, is about that. In fact, one of the things that we really want to build here at the gathering is how well we are described as a people of prayer. And so twice a year, we'll be doing this 21 days of prayer. In January, we'll do 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so some of you are thinking, I got to find a new church before January because I love to eat, you know, and, and we'll talk all about that and what that means as we get closer to it. But don't worry, in, in this season, in August, we're going we're gonna to go with 21 days of prayer and feasting instead. And so you go ahead and enjoy that. Uh, what we want to do is two things. We want to accomplish two things with 21 days of prayer. F first, uh, September is coming. And so, yes, it's hard to believe in this beautiful summer day, but the fall is upon us. Labor Day weekend is just like three or four weeks from right now. Summer is almost over. In just a couple weeks, your kids go back to school. Praise God. Amen? Come on, somebody. That's, that's good news right there. And if you're one of the parents whose kids are going to kindergarten for the first time, the sorrow will pass and it will turn to rejoicing. Come on, somebody. 
it's a good time to be a parent. And so it's the end of summer, and because of that, we've just got a new rhythm, a new season coming in, which means life is shifting rhythms. And we want to honor that with a season of prayer. We want to get on the right page before fall comes. The other thing is personally, I think, I think a lot of times at the end of the summer, we could use a detox. I think in January, we put a lot of attention on our, our spiritual and our physical, especially, and our emotional health. And we really focus on getting healthy in January. And some of us do a great job at this, you know. We, we join a gym, we get on a better diet, you know. We, we start doing things that are healthier for us emotionally. We start praying and reading our Bibles, and things go well. But some of you, that, that, that lasted about three weeks. But then the, anybody that was doing good for a few months there, by the time summer gets around, kids are out of school, your routine is different, you're trying to be outside as much as you can and enjoy the weather, you're staying up later because the sun's staying up later, you know, and, and all of that kind of results in us getting a little bit of a summer slump. We get a little bit out of shape in the summertime. And so we want to have 21 days of prayer to, to detox from the summer slump, to get back into a healthy rhythm. And so here's what that means. Here's what we're asking you to do. Uh, for the next three weeks, we want you to partner with us in prayer every day for one hour. We're, we're inviting you to join us uh, on specific focused prayer for one hour every day for the next 21 days. I believe this can be transformative, not just for our church, but for you. I believe that this season of prayer can be the difference maker in your life right now. In fact, I think for some of us, this is, this is already a part of our normal rhythm to have an hour of prayer each day. But, but for some of us, this is a brand new thing. It's a little bit scary and it's a little bit intimidating. But if you'll lean into it, I promise you this season could change everything. There could be a breakthrough that you've been waiting for, some sort of something that you've just been kind of on the edge of for a long time, wondering when you're going to get that breakthrough. And I believe that in this season, God can provide that breakthrough. Maybe you need freedom from something, and you just really feel it now more than ever. I believe if you would commit to this season of 21 days of prayer, you can find the freedom you've been searching for. Whatever it is, well, whatever it is, I believe that this season of prayer can change everything. And so at 6.30 a.m., uh, I, I, me or one of our staff will be leading us in a prayer prompting every morning on Facebook Live or Instagram Live. Um, and so if you don't have either of those social media platforms, you're probably already playing, praying for an hour every day, so don't worry about it. But if you do have those platforms, join us uh, at 6.30. If you can't join us at 6.30, we'll leave those up on our social media pages um, and we're just at Gather Asheville on Instagram and, uh, and then the Gathering Church on Facebook. I don't know how you search for stuff on Facebook. You just got to figure it out. But anyways, that stuff will be up all day long. So if you can't do it at 630, you can join us later. But I would encourage you to join us for the prayer prompting. We'll open up with prayer and then we'll move into an hour of prayer and worship. And I'm going to talk today all about what that looks like. Um, and then on the Saturdays, so Saturday, let me look at my dates, the... The Saturday the 9th, I want to say. Can't find it. Can't find it. Should have highlighted it. That would have been smart. Anyways, oh, Saturday, I don't know where it is. But I think it's the, this Saturday and the following Saturday. And so I want to say it's, it's the 12th and the 19th. Does that sound right? Yes, it's the 12th and the 19th. Um, sorry for that journey that I just took you on where I was trying to find dates. <laughs> 
Uh, anyways, we will be meeting for a prayer service at 9 a.m. at Sweeten Creek Road's Seacoast Asheville campus. So Seacoast Church Asheville is one of our partners, one of our friends. They're letting us use their facility at 9 a.m. on Saturdays on the 12th and the 19th. We'll give you more information on that this week, addresses in the whole nine yards. That service will be less than one hour, we promise. There's no preaching. You don't have to worry about it going over. Um, and it's going to be focused prayer time. So we will lead you in prayer. We'll pray for our city. We'll pray over specific things. We'll worship together a little bit. And then, uh, and then we'll pray over one another. And here's the thing. I think if you've never been to a prayer service of any kind like this, I think you've got to be at one of these Saturday services because I believe it could change your prayer life. If you've never had somebody lay hands on you and pray over you before, as a follower of Jesus, it's something you have got to be a part of. Don't miss this. I really believe these prayer services are going to make all the difference in this season for you. And so uh, that's coming up on Saturdays. We're just really excited about this 21 days of prayer, and we want you to be a part of it with us. And so today I want to talk about prayer, because I believe prayer changes everything. In fact, the title of our message today is Prayer Changes Everything. Prayer Changes Everything. So maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, you know, this is all very scary uh, because prayer is very scary. And I don't know, I don't have a great prayer life and, and 21 days of it, I don't know about the whole thing. And so maybe there's one of three things I think that keep us from having a healthy prayer life that I want to talk about this morning. First, I think a lot of us just don't know how to pray. I think for many of us, we just don't know how to pray. It, it can be difficult to talk to somebody who you can't see and whose literal voice you can't hear. It, it can be difficult to know what to say to somebody who created the universe. The most impressive thing that I ever created was one time I made this baked chicken dish that was fantastic, you know, and it can be hard to know how to connect with that, and it can, it can be hard to know where to start in prayer or what to say once you've asked God for your daily bread, you know, what's that all about? Are we, are we supposed to be eating bread every day? If so, praise God, I'm a great Christian, you know, and, and so it can be hard to kind of know what you're supposed to do, and I understand this because I have a three-year-old, and so I have a three-year-old. Here's a, something I've noticed about three-year-olds is that three-year-olds, their favorite things to play, at least mine, her favorite thing to play is to pretend to do all the things that I have to do. And so she, she wants to pretend to cook food. She wants to pretend to go to work. She wants to pretend to pack and go somewhere. She wants to pretend to drive a car. She wants to pretend to clean. She's got pretend cleaning tools, which they should just be real ones so she could actually clean. God forbid, and she pretends to clean, and she pretends to cook, and all of these things, and, and I, you know, it's, I think it's interesting, you know, that a three-year-old would rather pretend to do the things that as adults we complain about, makes me wonder if it's more about attitude than it is about activity, if we could have a better life, if we would just enjoy the little things that we do like a kid does, as a sidebar, but anyways, one of the things that she likes to pretend to do is talk on the phone, so she's got this phone that is a pretend phone, but it's not like any phone she's ever seen before in her life or will ever see. It's like got a cord, you know, and you pick it up and a turn dial. She's never seen anybody use one of these in real life. I told her it was a phone and she believes me. And so one of the things she likes to do is pretend to talk on the phone. Now, I hate talking on the phone. I don't like it. I, if, you, if you try to respond to a text I send you with a phone call, I am thinking you have lost your mind, you know? If, some, if my phone starts buzzing... And it's somebody that I know, I'm thinking this person doesn't really know me at all. Why aren't they using a text message? Why do they want to hear my voice? This is terrifying. And so 
Even worse than actually talking on the phone is pretending to talk on the phone. This is one of the things I have to do when I play with my daughter. And so yesterday we were playing, and she hands me the pretend phone, and I'm talking on it, and I'm just, uh, and I'm just you know, I don't know what to say. Who, I'm not talking to anybody. So I'm just like, uh-huh. I start doing this. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yep. And she goes, Daddy, you have to talk. You've got to talk to them so they know you're there. And I was like, sorry. And then I was like, yes, I do. I would. I can. I will. I have. I, I don't know what to say. And then she's happy, you know. And I, think, I feel like sometimes this is what it's like for us when we're trying to pray, is that we just feel like we're talking to a phone and nobody's there. Like we're having to just think up words to say, and it's difficult to know how to do it. Um, second thing is, I think sometimes we have a hard time praying because we feel like we don't have time to pray. We feel like we don't have time to pray. Life is busy, and it's busier all the time. And we pack our days with activities, with meetings, with work, with coffee dates, with play dates, going to the gym, life group, breakfast meetings, and don't forget Netflix just released the new season of that show you watch. And if you have kids, they wake up at 7 or 6, or if they're waking up before 6, you need a new system. <laughs> it's not working. <laughs> or new locks on the doors, and by the time they go to bed at night, you're completely spent. You know, it's just your only time to be an adult. It's what parents always say, but what that really means is, yeah, apparently what that means is being an adult sitting in a chair like this and watching television, because that's all I want to do after my daughter's gone to bed. And so this is our only time to relax, and so it can be hard uh, to find time. I get it. I've got a three-year-old and a four-month-old, and they do not care about my schedule. And, and our lives are busier than ever. And when you hear the pastor talk about an hour of our day to just pray, it feels impossible. It feels like, where is this hour supposed to come from? Or, or maybe, and those two really are just excuses, but this last one is a reason. See, I think sometimes we don't pray because prayer, we believe, doesn't change anything. We just, we just haven't seen the evidence we just haven't, haven't ever had any reason to believe that prayer is actually effective, that it works. In fact, we've got more reason to believe that it doesn't. And maybe this one is personal. Maybe you got sick, autoimmune, or chronic illness, cancer, and you prayed for healing, and nothing happened. Maybe somebody you love passed away despite endless prayer. Maybe you prayed for different circumstances, a new job, a relationship, and it just feels like it's falling on deaf ears. Maybe it's a skepticism. Why isn't this happening the way that I want? What, what could prayer possibly change? You know, for many years, I didn't pray because when I was nine years old, I got walking pneumonia, um, which is like a, they call it walking pneumonia because you're supposed to be walking all around while you have it, but I didn't feel like walking. I felt very sick. It's a pretty serious thing. I have asthma, and so as a kid, it was a pretty very serious thing to have, walking pneumonia. And I remember I had grown up in church, and so all my life I've been told, you know, when you have a problem, you got to pray about it. And so I remember being nine and laying on this mattress in my mom and dad's room because they wanted me to sleep in there so they could hear me breathing and everything and make sure I was okay. And I remember laying on that mattress one night and just staying up all night praying that God would heal me. And by staying up all night as a nine-year-old, it means I probably like laid there for 15 minutes before I passed out asleep, you know, gave into the NyQuil. And so I just remember just like believing that I would wake up feeling better, that God would heal me. 
And I woke up the next morning feeling worse than the night before. I was still sick. God hadn't healed me. And it's a silly thing, maybe, to be sick as a nine-year-old and expect God to heal you when he doesn't. But I didn't pray for anything for the next 12 years. I, I remember even as a teenager going to youth rallies and, and being a part of church and, and hearing the pastor say, you got to pray so, so that God can change things. And just thinking, no, he won't. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. I've tried it. I've got tangible evidence that prayer doesn't change anything. And it was 12 years, I was 21 years old before I ever prayed for anything again. So I get it. I think oftentimes we just, we just wonder if anybody's even listening on the other end. And we're not the first ones to struggle and feel like God, God isn't listening when we pray. We're not the first ones to struggle and even wonder how to pray. But listen to me. Every move of God in Scripture and in history is preceded by and filled with prayer. In the Old Testament, there are these remarkable stories about ordinary men talking with God about what they were facing or what they were about to face. When King Solomon is about to take over his kingdom, he opens that moment, he begins that journey in a season of prayer. When David, the king who was called a man after God's own heart, faced any situation, he would write down a new psalm, which was his, his book of prayers. The psalms are like having somebody's book of prayers right here in the middle of our Bibles. He would write laments when he lost children or when it felt like his enemies were going to overtake him. He would write songs of praise. He would ask questions. He would doubt God. All of these things written down in the psalms for us to see what prayer looks like. Jesus' life was, faced, was marked by quiet moments of prayer. We can see that he left often to pray on his own, that he was always stealing away to have a moment of prayer. Before every major ministry event and every major miracle, Jesus begins with prayer. The apostles prayed both in public and in private. And some of those prayers are recorded in Scripture. I think all of it paints a clear and obvious picture. If we want to move closer to God and see him move more in our lives, we've got to learn to pray. And so here's what I want to invite you to do. It's just over this next 21 days, make a commitment to prayer. To pray like you haven't before. To, to, to come into a new season of prayer. Because if it's been something that's been difficult for you to begin, just getting into a prayer life is one of those things that's always on the to-do list but never gets done, then this is the season to start. And if it's one of those things where you're not so sure if you, know how, if, you, if you can pray and if you know if you do whether or not anything will happen, this is a great season to test it. I'm just telling you, lean in on this next 21 days. Give it an hour every single day. And if you don't feel like you know how to pray by the end of it, if you feel like at the end of 21 days of prayer you haven't seen the breakthrough that you've been looking for, the revelation that you've been asking for, then commitment's over. But I believe if you would lean in on this next 21 days, if you would trust God, if you would pray with boldness, if you would learn how to converse with Him, how to talk to Him, how to have a conversation with your Father, that this, this season, this next 21 days could change everything. And so I think we have to learn to pray because prayer is easy. Prayer is easy. Prayer is conversation in a relationship. When you first start talking to somebody in any relationship, it can be a little bit difficult. 
It can be a little bit forced even. I'm, I'm very bad at starting conversations with people I don't know very well. In fact, what, one of my like benchmark thing is whenever I'm meeting somebody for the first time, I panic emotionally and I just go right into a big story, which is not what people want when they're first meeting you. They'd rather have you like a, hi, my name is, where are you from? But instead I'm like, so one time I was, you know, and people are like, whoa, what's happening right now? I, I'm terrible at starting relationships and starting conversations with people. In fact, I got to tell you this story. I, my wife and I, um, <laughs> I, first dates are the worst. Am I right? Having a, a conversation on the first date is the hardest of all conversations. Trying to figure out what to say to this person. And the expectation is so big. My wife and I's first date was terrible. Now, I want to tell you about our first kiss, too. This is great. Listen, my, my wife and I knew each other for four years. Our first date was terrible, and we'd already known each other for four years. And not just known each other, we were like best friends. We hung out all the time. We both lived in different cities, and we would like travel to hang out with one another. And so four years we had known each other, and our first date was still so awkward. The night that we started dating, we were hanging out, and, and, uh, and, and, and it was like 4 a.m., because we'd been staying up all night at a friend's house talking about, we were doing, we were having a DTR, if you know what that is. That's define the relationship, okay? And we're having this long conversation, and we just decide we're going to go for it, you know? I'm crazy about her. She doesn't know. I've been in love with her for four years, and she's just started to start to like me about seven minutes ago, you know? And you know, here, yeah, and got girls, you know what, if you got a guy that's a best friend, he's in love with you, okay, I'm just going to let you know. And so I was in love with her, you know, all that time, just waiting, and finally it's my moment to kiss her, you know, and I'm like, yes, and, uh, and, and it's, I'm, we're leaving after this conversation, and she's standing at the door, and I think I even said, is it okay, is it okay if I kiss you, <laughs> you know, and, and she was like, yeah, and I was like, all right, <laughs> and this is great, you know, it's been four years, I've been waiting for this, and I didn't know what to do, you know, I was so nervous, you know, and so I just like, I'd seen like, she's wearing glasses, and I, I'd seen on a lot of romantic movies, I feel like, where they remove the glasses, and it's super, <laughs> super romantic, so I just like, I reach out, you know, and I like, shaking hands, and I like, took her glasses off, but they're like spring-loaded, so they're stuck on her temples, and they're not, you know, I'm like, pulling them off her face, and she's like, doing this. And then she can't see anything because she's blind, you know? And she's like, why are you taking off my glasses? Like, so they won't get in the way, you know? <laughs> and then I'm like super nervous. I got her glasses in my hand. I think I like grabbed the back of her head because I seen that move also. And it was like my hand's like stuck in her hair now. <laughs> and, and then we go to kiss and I like missed her mouth a little bit, got like the side of her mouth. And I was so jazzed by it that like my knees turned into rubber and then I go to leave and I miss the door, you know, and I like lean in and I can't figure out how the handle works and then I, I'm standing right in front of it and I go to open it and I like open it onto myself and bump myself and like stumble out of it, you know, and go get in my car and drive home and it's a miracle that I survived, you know. And, then, and so you can imagine that the first date we went on right after that was very awkward. You know, was, we'd known each other for four years. We'd spent hours hanging out. And yet here we are trying to have a conversation and we got no idea what to say. Our words are just stumbling over one another and you just keep interrupting. You know, you're doing that thing where you, you, you think it's your time to talk and you start talking and that's right when they start to talk. And then nobody talks, you know, because then it's like, oh my gosh. And I'm just saying that in the beginning of any good relationship, the conversations can be a little bit forced. 
They can be a little bit difficult to get started, but the more you're in relationship with that person and the more you practice conversation with that person, the more you talk to one another, the more time you spend with one another, the easier the conversation becomes. In fact, I've even found that after eight years of marriage, that still, if we go through seasons where we're not having regular conversations, you know, where the, where the average conversation is, hey, what are you going to want for dinner tonight? Oh, I'm a, how about you grilled chicken? You got it. And that's like it, you know? And then we're just talking to the, to the kids, not about the kids, that even after those seasons, that conversation can be difficult. After eight years of marriage. And so I just think we can't expect that right when we start our prayer life, for it to be easy for us to talk to God. That like every relationship in the beginning, you have to be intentional with your conversation. It's going to feel a little bit forced. It's going to feel a little bit difficult. It's going to feel a little bit dry. Because that's how you could describe the conversations I had with my wife when we started dating. And when you enter your prayer life with God, it will be the same. If not a little bit more difficult, because He's God. And so I would encourage you, if you've not been in a relationship with him yet, let this 21 days be your season to break the awkward tension, to break, to break that barrier of conversation. I believe prayer is easy because it is simple conversation. Conversation with the one who made you, with the Father who desires you. And so if it, it, I've got kind of an outline that I follow when I go through my prayer time, and I'm, I'm going to give it to you. Maybe this will help, um, and you'll see that, that this really is easy. And so whenever I go to pray, I always start with worship. And I just believe worship is such an important part of prayer, that it's like one of the most important aspects of the Christian life is worship. I think we were created to worship. I think God desires worship. I think when we worship, we're connected with the Spirit in a fresh and new way every time we worship. And so when, when I say worship, I'm, I'm specific. I think you can worship with your life, you know, that, you know, maybe for you hitting the links, you know, going golfing is worship. And that's great, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is, is song, is, is music, worship music. And I, I always just kind of start with, I have a playlist and I change it from time to time to keep it fresh. And I just start by singing praise to the one who made me. And I just feel like it just starts the conversation in the right place. It always kind of sets my mind right where it needs to be. So go on Pandora or Spotify and build a playlist. You know, go on iTunes, build a playlist, or, or uh, maybe you, you like 90. Whatever kind of worship you like. It doesn't have to be new and modern. It could be your favorite. It could be hymns. Maybe you've got some old records of some hymns you want to put on, or you've got some cassette tapes of some 90s worship with a trumpet section. Come on, somebody. Maybe, maybe that's what you like to connect to God with. You want to celebrate Jesus, celebrate, that kind of thing. And, and if that's you, whatever connects you to the Spirit, just worship a little bit. In fact, uh, I always like to start with one of the worship psalms, and my favorite is Psalm 100. I'm going to read the whole psalm to you. Here it goes. It says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. That's just worship. It's just worship. It's just a psalm of worship. And if you can just make that a part of your regular life, I think it'll change the way you see things. And it makes prayer 
easier. So I always start with worship. And then I talk to God like I expect an answer. I think it's important to talk to God like you, like you expect an answer. In Jeremiah 33, 3, God says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. See, I think when we study Scripture and it's, and it's coupled with prayer and worship, that these are God's words, that this is, this is the other end of the phone, that, that he'll speak to you, that it'll be alive to you, that things will jump off the page, they'll be new to you. I think you'll hear God speak in your heart. I think there's just so many ways that we can communicate with God, but it won't happen if we don't start praying like we expect an answer. Pray like you expect an answer. Pray for what's on your heart. I have an outline. I use a journal. I think the two most powerful tools for prayer are a good worship playlist and a journal. I always, always write down what, what like the heart, I call it the heart of my prayer. And so I'll find that each day in the prayers that I'm praying, that there's a heart of it. Like there's one thing that really connected with what I needed to say. Like this was what I needed to say to God today. And I always write that down. It's usually like one sentence. My prayer journal is like I write this much because I'm not a big, I don't like to write. And so it's very small. But I write down the heart of the prayer. And then I always have a couple names of people that I pray for and, and issues that I'm praying through. And so pray for what's on your heart, whether it's issues, maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe you need to forgive somebody or, or you've hurt someone and you, you need, you're working on earning their forgiveness. Maybe it's uh, some, some, something that you're holding on to that you need freedom from. And it's time to start bringing it to God regularly. Habits, sins, mistakes that you're making, paths that you're on, whatever it is. Just pray for what's on your heart. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. He, he wants to know what's on your heart. I think one of the things God desires most in prayer is that we would just tell him what's in our hearts. He can already see it. He already knows it. If you have a hard time putting words to it, God will give you the words. If you have a hard time expressing it, then it says that, that God can discern the grumblings of your spirit. Just share your heart with him and let him settle it. I think we need to pray for people. I always pray for people. You know, um, it's a colloquialism in the church when somebody tells you something's going on. Yeah, my, uh, you know, my sister is sick. It's always, it's always what we say is, well, sorry to hear that. I'll pray for you. And we say it and then we don't pray for them. It's just a thing we say as though that sentence is praying for them. It's not. I think if you tell somebody you're going to pray for them, you need to pray for them. And I think you need to stop telling them you're going to pray for them if you're not going to pray for them. I don't want you to tell me you're going to pray for me if you're not going to pray for me. That's just a personal thing that I feel. But I just So if you tell me something and I tell you I'm going to pray for you, a lot of times you'll see me, you'll see me pull out my phone. And it's not because I got a notification from Instagram, a new like. I'm like, who's this? It's not that. I'm taking out my notepad and I'm writing down your name and what you got going on so I can actually pray for you. See, I have people that I pray for every day. There's usually like friends of mine that are going through things. And I've got three names right now specifically. One, two, three of people that I love that are going through some crap. And I want to pray for them every single day. And so I do. I put their names down. I put down uh, names of lost people that are in my life. There's one guy that, I, that is always on there who, who I just want to know Jesus so desperately. And so every day when I pray, I pray for him that God would give me the opportunity to share light with him, that, that God would change his heart, that the Holy Spirit would work on him, all of these things. I just think we've got to pray for people. First Timothy chapter 2 says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. 
He says, pray for people. And he actually takes it to a place we don't want to go. He says, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. We have a very difficult political climate in our country right now, more division than there's ever been. And many of us struggle with our leadership. But I think it's okay to struggle with our leadership, but it's not okay to not pray for them. We got to pray for our leaders. We got to pray for the people who are in authority constantly. So, So I always pray for people. It's good and it pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved is the rest of that verse. So pray for people. Um, pray for people that need Jesus. Pray for your family and your friends. This is just a simple structure that I follow every day. I, I look at um, Matthew chapter 6 there. There's a, Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer and I'll use that as a template a lot. I just want you to see that it's easy to pray. Prayer is easy. It's just speaking to your Father. It's just speaking to God, believing that He listens and that He will answer. If you just commit to it and you, you, you start to give yourself a rhythm, maybe you're like me, you need a structure, an outline. If you do it, you'll start to get more and more comfortable with it and it'll become easier and easier for you. Um, second thing is, I believe we have time for what we prioritize. You have time for what you prioritize. I, I sometimes struggle to create time for prayer because there are days when I'm tired and do not wake up early. There are days that feel rushed to me There are seasons where I feel like time is a commodity more precious than gold, but it's been impressed on me by leaders in my life that during those seasons, prayer is more important because I believe we always make time for the things we prioritize the most. We prioritize work, and so we always have time for work because we need a place to live and food to eat, period. And so it's a, it's a top priority. We get there. We prioritize eating because if we don't eat, then our tummies get rumbly. You know, and we don't want that. And so we, we prioritize these basic needs that we have. And what I would assert to you is that prayer is a basic need, like the need for food and the need for shelter. That it's one of the things that will carry you as much as a meal will carry you throughout the day, if not more so. And so it's got to become a priority. We, 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 we say that we don't have time to do anything, but we still find time to watch three hours of Netflix before bed. Or we find time to get up early and go to the gym to work out. And I think physical health is important, but it's not as important as spiritual health. And that we've got to make time for prayer. You make time for the things you prioritize the most. And if you put this at the top of your priorities and you make time for it, everything else will fall in line. And anything that still doesn't fit at the end of the day probably didn't need to be there anyways. We make time for the things we prioritize. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It's, uh, it's just one glimpse into the life of Jesus. One scene of many like this. It says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. See, Jesus had a responsibility. People wanted him. People needed him. And people were looking for him. And he had a message that he had to preach. He said, this is why I came here, is to preach this message. But he prioritized prayer in that he got up early before the sun did. And even though he had people relying on him and places to be, He made it a priority in his life to pray. We have time for what we prioritize. Now, maybe you think, Pastor, of course you find time to pray. Of course Jesus found time to play. What you do for your living is ministry. You've got to have 
a healthy prayer life, to do it well. But I, just, I would assert to you that if you would make prayer a priority and a part of your day every day, you would begin to see what you do as ministry as well. Because I believe everybody's job is ministry. That, it, that it's actually the pastor's job is to, it says, my job in 1 Peter 4, it says, pastors equip the saints for the, all the ministry of the church. Like I'm the equipper and we're all the ministers, all of us. And so wherever you go to work, you're going there to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who are desperately in need of it. If your work is to stay home with your children, then your job is to raise up people who know the gospel of Jesus Christ in their hearts before I had the opportunity to. I'm just telling you, if this is a priority, you will see things differently. Make it a priority to do this every day. Every day. Um, I, I'm telling you this now, but I'll still have conversations with people who will tell me that they're just not feeling spiritually close to God, or they're not feeling fed, or they're not connecting on the dream team, or so on. And, and when I ask if they've been praying, there's usually not a good answer. It's kind of a, a wavery yes, I pray every day. But what they're thinking is, I pray every day a blessing over my meal, and that's just not enough. You know, it's just not enough. Prayer affects everything. It will lift every aspect of your life. I meet with people all the time whose marriages are in trouble. And they say, Pastor, we just, we don't connect anymore. We, we're, not, we're not connecting, my wife and I. And I'll say, well, are you talking to each other? And the answer is, well, not really. And the simple solution is that if you would prioritize conversation and communication in your marriage, you would have less trouble in your marriage. And the very same is true in your relationship with God. The more we prioritize communication, the, the easier our relationship will be. Third thing is this. I believe prayer changes everything. Prayer changes everything. There will be times when you pray and you don't hear an answer. And there will be times when you will pray for one thing and another thing happens. And that's hard. That's difficult to understand. But let me show you some prayers from many, many years ago in a different season of the relationship between God and man when prayer made all the difference. First, let me show you one where it didn't, actually. In Habakkuk, Habakkuk is a, a Habakkuk, 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 I don't know. <laughs> we'll go with Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a guy uh, who was a prophet in Israel, at the, one of the last prophets of Israel, at the end of Israel's time as a kingdom. And his book is only three chapters wrong, long. And so maybe if you're making a goal to read a book of the Bible over this 21 days of prayer, that'd be a good one, you know? And so it's three chapters long. And the first two chapters are a prophecy about how the kingdom of Israel is going to be invaded and it will never be a kingdom again. And then the second, pro and then that's the first two chapters. And then the third chapter is just Habakkuk asking God for that not to happen. Did you catch that? And so God whispers into his heart this prophecy. This, there's going to be an invasion. And Habakkuk, whose name be, means the one who wrestles, prays, God, don't let this happen. Here's what's going to happen. God, please don't let this happen. In verse 2 it says, I've heard all about you, Lord. I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. And in this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. What a beautiful prayer. In fact, the whole chapter is like that. And over and over again, he just begs God, God, I know that you can deliver us from this. I know that you, you have the power to. I know that you can change things if you want to change things. God, please change this. 
Don't let this go the way I've seen that it could go. Please rescue us from this invasion, Father. But just 10 years later, Babylon invades Israel. And it's thousands of years until they have any independence again. And, and even we see in the life of Jesus, he's going to the cross in the night before he would be, the night he would be arrested, the night before he's crucified, as he prays so hard that he's sweating blood out of his skin, he begs God for another way. God, don't let me, don't let this happen this way, Father. Please, I'm just asking if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But he knows he's got to go to the cross. See, here's, I just believe that no matter what, we've just got to pray with boldness like we believe that prayer changes everything because I believe it has the power to. In, in Exodus chapter 32, verses 9 through 14, God is in a relationship with the Israelites and it's hard because the Israelites keep forgetting everything God's done for them. And they turn their back on him and they start worshiping other gods. And, and it's very difficult for Moses as their leader to keep showing them that they can't do that. And finally, God is fed up with it. And he's ready to start over again with a new people. And he says, God says, I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses. They're stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. And then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. God has already spoken what he's going to do, and Moses knows it. But he's not going to pray in submission He's going to pray with boldness. He says, God, relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I've promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Moses just prayed with faith. He believed. He begged God for a change, for a breakthrough, for deliverance, just that God would change his heart, change his mind, that they would go in a different path. Moses said, I see which way we're going, God, but I'm begging you for a different chance, for a different outcome, that things wouldn't be the same. And it says, and the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Here's what I believe. Prayer can change the mind of God. I believe prayer changes everything. That if we would have faith enough to pray for things that seem impossible, we would see God deliver the impossible. That if we would have faith enough that even if, even if it doesn't happen, God, I'm going to pray for it anyways like it will, that we will see things we never expected to see in this life. I want to tell you about some prayers I've prayed. Um, my nephew, Josiah, was born with a heart condition. A hypoplastic left heart is, is, was missing a, a hole so the blood couldn't move right. And he had his first surgery four hours after birth. And he was in the hospital for eight months while I was engaged to my wife. And we spent many of our date nights in the hospital at his side begging God for a miracle. Begging God for a miracle. I've never prayed so hard in my entire life. In my entire life. And churches, his father's a pastor. And that whole church was lifting him up. And 
I sat in, in small rooms with Milo, my brother-in-law, just lifting up his baby boy, believing for a miracle. And on January 24th, 2010, Josiah died. But if I had to go back and do it again, I would pray every single prayer exactly the same way. And I would believe exactly the same that God can provide a breakthrough, that he can do the miracle, that if God chooses, this boy can just fully recover. And I would do it again because I believe our God has the power to change everything and that he's told us to ask. One of my best friends, his dad, he, he came down with pneumonia in both lungs and the doctor said it's, it's gone too far. His lungs are too heavily corrupted. They can't heal from this. It, it, he's not going to live. He's got one to two weeks. If he did live, we would have to get a transplant. It's not going to be okay. And we prayed. We prayed like, like crazy. My, my friend Josh, he, he prayed like I'd never seen anybody pray before. And he was there every day just, just praying over him, praying over him, and praying over him. And one day, Keith took a big breath and his lungs were new again. And it was, he, he's a preacher. He's out preaching this morning somewhere. I'm just telling you, God can heal. And he does. I had some friends, and, and their marriage was bad. It was really, really bad. Things had gone so wrong. They weren't, it didn't look like there was any hope. There was no hope. Hearts were hardened. They were mad. It was not good. And so we prayed over him. We prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we said, God can heal this marriage that there's never been anything broken what he could not put back together. There's never been a hurt that he couldn't heal. There's never been anything he couldn't do. God, heal this marriage. Heal this marriage. And let me tell you something. That couple worked harder than I've ever seen in my life because it's work. You don't just wake up and everything's fine. But before you can do the work, your heart has to change. And only God can change hearts. And he changed their hearts because of a season of prayer. I just want you to know prayer can change everything. When I was 21 years old, I attempted to take my life. I was so depressed. I was so depressed. And I, I entered into a relationship with Jesus just a couple months later. And that depression, it was still there. I still felt empty and broken and tore apart inside. But for a year, I prayed every single day, God, take it from me. God, give me joy. Help me to wake up just feeling like it's worth it. Help me to wake up feeling peace. God, I just ask I just ask for a reason. God, give me a reason. Father, just help me to, help me to feel joy again. Take, take this from me. And it took a year, but I want you to know when I wake up in the morning today, I felt joy. I just want you to know prayer can change everything. It can change everything. Just let it. Just lean into this next three weeks. Let God do something new in you. Let him do something new in your family. Let him bring things back together. Let him change hearts. If it's healing you need, beg for healing and believe it will come. We are going to pray like we've never prayed before in this season. And I cannot wait to see the miracles that are waiting for us. Prayer changes everything. Prayer changes everything. Let's just see what God can do. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done in our lives, God. We thank you for the way you've changed us, Lord. God, I thank you for, for making me new, Father. I thank you for renewing me every day, God. And God, I thank you that you are a God who desires relationship, that you want me to know you, Father. 
that you want me to speak to you, God, that you care about the things that hurt me, that you care about the things that I care about. So God, I just commit this next 21 days to you, Father. Change me. Father, I put myself just on an altar of sacrifice before you, God. Use me, Father. Give me fresh vision in this season, Lord. Give me fresh energy in this season, God. Lift me up. Detox me. Take things out of my life that don't need to be there. God, I lift up the church, just every person in this room to you, that, that, that over the next three weeks they'd find healing, that they'd find breakthrough, God, that you would show them their next step, that you would show them the way that you care for them, Father, that the ones that are needing comfort would find comfort, that those who are in search of healing would find healing, that God, Lord, we, above all else, that we would just find relationship with the one who made us and the one who wants us and the one who loves us. We love you so much, Father. We just want to be in your presence. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.